Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 97th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. I can actually see the computer in front of me now. You got your kick-ass hipster glasses. I do. The glasses that our daughter said were not cool. No, you look like a sexy librarian with those glasses on. (gasps) Thank you. That's what I was going for. Yeah. Now I can see. So this podcast is about to get 2% better. Well, it has to if you can see. (laughs) Glasses make the person. They definitely do. Yeah. If you're a new listener, we'd just like to welcome you to the dysfunction. There is so much of it. (laughs) We are the poster children for dysfunction. We probably are. Yeah. But here we are. So what does that mean? I don't know. Nothing. And we're choosing to tell you stories about people that are more dysfunctional in their marriages than we are. So it makes us feel better about ourselves. And hopefully it does you as well. I think that's a good goal. Yeah. That's all we can do here. Search out worse people. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, you got some factoids for me? So early on in our wonderful marriage. (laughs) Okay. I think one or two times we had gone to Disneyland and you did not want to go on the storybook land ride. The storybook land canal boats. I hate that ride. And it's for like little kids. It's because it takes you through Monstro the whale's mouth. (laughs) Right? Yes. Is that correct? You didn't want to go on it. You're like, no, I hate that because I don't want to go through the whale's mouth because that scares me. It does. I'm not Jonah. I will not enjoy being swallowed by a whale. And is that because you have a fear of sharks? That whole like big sea creatures that are swallowing you? I honestly have a fear of anything in the water. Okay. Which is crazy to me that I love cruises because you wouldn't think that somebody with the fears that I have about water and the ocean, that I would be somebody who would enjoy that. Okay, but you're on top of a big ass barge cruise ship thing. You're not in the water. Well, yeah, and I don't really think about it when I'm doing it. I think about it when I'm off the cruise ship. But yes, I am not one of those that is ever going to go swim with the whales or dive with sharks. That is not me at all. So CBS News says that scientists in California, they're researching what makes people afraid of sharks. And they believe it's the 1975 Jaws movie, which caused a whole generation of people to develop galeophobia, which is an irrational fear of sharks. Well, of course. I totally saw Jaws way too young. See? And I did the same thing to our children, and they are not afraid of sharks. So there you go. I'm not. They're mostly friendly. You can pet them. No, they're not. No, they're not. Anyway, the whole point of all this is leading into a story that was actually recommended. You had mentioned it to me. It was recommended by one of 
Instagram listeners, I believe. Yes, right? yes. Okay, I know where you're going with this. And wanted me to talk about this story. It actually happened two years ago, almost exactly two years ago. And this was in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And this fine gentleman, a Michael Packard, or Packard, he's a lobster diver, which I believe means you don't have tanks on. You're just diving because you're a badass. Hmm. And he can. There are licensed lobster divers. So you can go down and pluck lobsters right off the bottom of the ocean there. That In this case, it was like 45 feet deep and come back up with a live lobster. Yeah, they do that in Rosarito, too. Yeah, exactly. Or Puerto Nuevo. Yeah, so they'll dive down, get one for you, and then you eat it. It's the best lobster in the world. Yeah, so... In Mexico. Two years ago, Michael's out there doing his thing, and he said he's about 10 feet off the sand, off the bottom, and all of a sudden, he basically gets engulfed by a whale, by a giant humpback whale. Oh my gosh. By accident, because whales don't try and swallow people. And to preface this, you can't actually be swallowed by a whale. You can't fit down their throat. But they say an average whale is a humpback whale. They're anywhere from 39 to 52 feet long and can weigh anywhere from 70 to 80,000 pounds. Holy crap. Which is as much as a fully loaded large semi-truck going down the freeway. Ugh. That's a big long trailer semi-truck. That's a big beast. Yeah, pretty big. According to him, he believes he was in this whale's mouth for 30 to 40 seconds, which a lot of people say you couldn't hold your breath that long. But he's also an experienced lobster diver. And it probably felt like 30 to 40 seconds, but it was probably like 10 seconds. And then it was all dark. And next thing he knows, he's on the surface and the whales basically spit him out. And then the whale went back under. So it didn't Geppetto him. It did not Geppetto him, no. Okay. But I thought that would be an interesting topic. <laughs> yes, but then the listener from Instagram sent something about two women who were on a canoe. Yes. And they were not necessarily swallowed, but like it actually picked them up in their mouth and the women fell out of the canoe. Yeah, so at first it looked like they were swallowed up. Or the, um, I think it was a kayak. It might have been canoes. I don't, I'd have Is to look it Is there a difference up. between a kayak and a canoe? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, well canoe is I all. I have no idea. I don't exercise, so I don't a, know. <laughs> a kayak is all enclosed on the top, except for the hole you're sitting in. And usually there's kind of like a oh. an apron of sorts that, that goes in place. And it prevents water from coming in. Okay. And it can also, for the most part, it floats no matter what. Whereas a canoe is easily capsized. It's very unstable. Okay. And once it tips over and fills with water, it's really, really hard to get it fixed. A kayak are those things that people take down rapids. Yes, they are a lot more maneuverable. And canoes are the things that people are always trying to get in to get away from Jason, who's chasing them with a knife. Right, which is, okay. that's not very effective. <laughs> Okay, I get it. I can see it. But it makes it makes for good uh, movies. Yeah, Friday the 13th. So if you ever had a reason to stay out of the ocean now or not diving down where the whales are eating, mm. now you have it. No, thanks. 
Have you heard about all those orcas, those pods of orcas that are destroying rudders on boats and trying to sink boats? A little bit. What is happening? Is this a sign of the second coming? They're getting even. For what? From being trained to do tricks at like SeaWorld and stuff. Oh, they're probably being led by one of those captive whales. I think one escaped. And told them what's One happening. Escaped. Yeah, and that now they're they're having seminars about it and stuff. And oh, so, yeah. man. That's oh, no, 100%. sad. That's yep. so sad. I grew up going to SeaWorld. Never thought about it, ever. Is that why you don't want to go into Mon- Monstro's Mouth at Disneyland? Hmm. You know how old that attraction is? And its eyes blink, too. Oh, really? Yeah, you've never seen that? No. Oh, okay. Yes, I have issues. I used to be afraid of the shark at Universal Studios, and now I just sit in the middle of the tram. Yeah, you don't like to sit on the outside when the fake mechanical shark (laughs) comes by and sprays you. No, I just, you know, there's things we don't like. Some people don't like spiders. I don't care about spiders. Spiders don't scare me at all. Yeah. It's these huge creatures that live in the ocean. Only the poisonous stuff, so like black widows try and get rid of those but the rest of them i'll just pick them up and move them yeah i just it doesn't bother me pet them set them on people's shoulders you know i'm nice i try to think of others so is that the end of your factoid yeah because otherwise we're gonna run out of time (laughs) are we on a time limit you said 10 minutes i did i cut it down though i cut everything down to 10 minutes do you want me to do more no you're good do you have more No. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for your factoids, darling. All right. The end. You're welcome. Daniel. Yes. (laughs) Are you ready for my case? Do I have a choice? No. No, you don't. Then hurry up. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. This is the case of Andrew and Ruth Ann Madden. On Friday, August 9th, 2002, around 4 p.m., in Lincoln County, Missouri, calls began coming into the St. Charles Police Department. The body of a woman was found in a commuter parking lot off of the intersection of Highway B and 61. A motorist had pulled into the gravel parking lot and saw the woman's legs poking out from behind a car that was facing toward the highway with the driver's side door open and the engine still running. Local sheriff's deputies were on the scene soon after. The deceased woman was lying in the gravel in a pool of blood. She was about 10 feet from the vehicle that was presumed to belong to her. The woman was on her back, face up, One arm was crossed across her chest, and the other was lying up near her head. She had sustained massive trauma to her head. Are you picturing this? Yeah. Okay. It's not good. The woman was wearing nursing-style scrubs and a work identification badge from a local medical center that read, Ruth Ann Madden. Investigators initially thought that 56-year-old Ruth Ann's death was due to a robbery or carjacking gone wrong, but Ruth Ann's purse and all its contents were still in her car. 
Witnesses had gathered at the scene, but none of them had actually seen what had happened to Ruth Ann. But one witness had seen a suspicious vehicle recklessly pull out of the car park, almost hitting the witness. He actually had to swerve out of the way to avoid being hit. I hate those kind of drivers. This action drew the witness's attention to the commuter lot where he saw a body lying in the middle of the open parking lot, which now we know is Ruth Ann. Okay. He made a quick U-turn and tried to chase down the car going northbound on 4061, traveling at about 85 to 90 miles per hour. The situation became too dangerous for the witness, so he went back to the lot and gave his statement to the deputies who were already on the scene. The witness was unable to get the license plate number, but was able to tell deputies that the car was a white Chevy Lumina sedan with tinted windows. If a car took off from that kind of a situation and you can't catch it, they may as well have a big banner that says, I'm guilty, right? Yeah, that's why the guy followed this car. And they were running away. If you're running physically away from a body or you're speeding away from a body in a car, you had something to do with that body on the ground. Yeah, and almost crashing into other cars and people and then you can't even catch that person on the freeway. And it was about 4 p.m., which means there's a lot of people on the highway. Yeah. Because it was a Friday, so people are going home. Well, okay, so that seems like fairly typical actions for people leaving work on a Friday, though. They want to leave. Yes, but the body was in a car park off a highway, so a gravel area that's not pavement. So it's not marked like a parking lot. It's just this gravel area. Gotcha. I don't think that would be a normal occurrence for a car to come shooting out of there. No, they're guilty. Ruth Ann's body was taken to the local coroner, She had been killed with a single gunshot to the head. The bullet had entered above her right ear and exited the left occipital area. She had died instantly. In her right hand, a clump of hair was found, like it had been ripped out of someone's head during a struggle. A soda can and Durrell brand cigarettes were also found on the scene, but the weapon presumed to be a revolver, was not found. And it was presumed to be a revolver because there was no shell casing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So what had happened to Ruth Ann? And why would someone want her dead? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know her very well yet. (laughs) Investigators made their way over to the home Ruth Ann shared with her husband, 52-year-old, Andrew Madden, who went by Andy. Andy Madden. The home was located in Eolia, Missouri, which is a 15-minute drive north from the crime scene. Where is it? Areolia, Missouri? (laughs) Eolia. Oh, Eolia. Areola. Areolia. Oh, my gosh. Someone's going to get pissed from there. (laughs) I can feel it. How dare Daniel say I that it's Areola? I didn't say Areola. I said Areolia. <laughs> okay. That's a pretty name. Sounds like a f- 
Never mind. <laughs> Eolia. Eolia. Okay, gotcha. I actually looked it up, so there you go. Perfect. According to Andy, Ruth Ann was a wonderful woman who did not have any enemies, and he would know. The two had been married since 1975, so 27 years. Wow, good for them. Yeah. Pure bliss. Andy and Ruth Ann met when Andy escorted Ruth Ann's brother's body home for his funeral. Now that is romantic. Andy was stationed in Oklahoma where he met Ruth Ann's brother after returning home after a tour in Vietnam. I had also read that Andy did two tours in Vietnam. Okay. But most of what I read just said that he did one tour. So I don't know if that means anything, but I just felt like yeah, he served our country. He served and did a tour in Vietnam, possibly two. Yes. Perfect. Andy was a tank mechanic in the U.S. Army and saw significant action in Vietnam. That took an emotional toll on Andy, and he had some demons to conquer when he returned home. Oh, God, I can only imagine. If anybody's listening and you served in the military, thank you for your service. And if you have grandparents or parents or anybody like that, thank them from us. Yeah. The whole Vietnam War was just Mm. tragic. Yeah. It hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Well, we get off of that. Andy was immediately attracted to the beautiful and sweet four foot two inch Ruth Ann. She was teeny. What? She is Four teeny two? tiny. Holy moly. Okay. She'd still need a booster seat if she lived in California. Yeah. <laughs> She's a 50. What does that mean? Well, 48 inches is four feet plus two. It's 50. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> After the couple were married, they made their life in Eolia. God, I can't say that now. Sorry. Eolia. I suppose now you're going to tell me Andy was like 6'5". No, he wasn't that big. Okay. Mm -mm. All right, good. The Maddens were deeply in love and always together. Ruth Ann was the oldest of 11 siblings and was very family-oriented. She was the constant caregiver of everyone around her, especially Andy. The couple never had any children of their own, but Andy did have a son from a previous marriage. Ruth Ann worked as a housekeeping supervisor at a local hospital, and after retiring from military service, Andy became a heavy machine operator at the quarry. I have to say something that's way off topic. Oh, boy. All that's popping into my head right now is that scene from the movie that I can't remember, but you'll remind me when I tell you this. And it's that actress, and she was seriously like four feet tall. And she's like, Carol Ann. Oh, Poltergeist. Car- there it is. <laughs> yeah. And that actress, right? And what was she in the movie? She was like a... a she was a psychic medium. Yeah. Medium. She, she was definitely not a large, so probably a medium. <laughs> and she was what? Maybe four feet tall? Oh, yeah. That actress, she was itty bitty. And she'd just be, Carol Ann. Carol Ann. Carol Ann. Sorry. All right. So that's all I'm thinking. You tell me she's 4'2", four, four <laughs> Ruth Ann. I just can't get that image from Poltergeist. And she also played the piano during the wedding scene of 16 Candles. Do you remember that? No. And she's walking down the aisle out of the church and her shoes are squeaking. She's like, squeak, squeak, squeak. Yeah. Do you remember and that? she's very small. Oh, God. Now I'm thinking of Jake Ryan. Damn. 
Jack Ryan? No, Jake Ryan. Who's that? The character from 16 Candles, the hot guy. Oh, okay. Oh, God, Jake Ryan. Anybody else out there? Raise your hand. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Jake Ryan. (laughs) Okay, we got to get back to this. According to friends and family, the couple rarely fought, and Andy was totally devoted to Ruth Ann and did whatever she wanted or needed him to do. In 1997, Ruth Ann was offered a full-time housekeeping supervisor position at Lincoln County Medical Center. She was well-liked by her staff and administration. In the year 2000, Andy's previous tour in Vietnam began taking its toll on his health. He was declining physically, losing strength in his legs. It was soon discovered that Andy had a brain tumor that was affecting his equilibrium. Gotcha. Andy needed surgery and was told that if the tumor were to be removed, he would no longer have balance, meaning he could no longer walk or stand for very long and would now need a wheelchair on a more permanent basis. Ruth Ann now became Andy's full-time caregiver while maintaining her management job at the hospital. Ruth Ann was very busy and needed more help. In June of 2001, the VA sent the Maddens a home health nurse named Karen Clowers. Andy and Ruth Ann liked the 44-year-old Karen immediately. She was sweet, generous, and outgoing. And Ruth Ann did not have to worry about Andy's well-being while she was gone. While Ruth Ann was at work, Karen would provide Andy with general care, tasks such as helping around the house, cleaning, cooking, getting Andy dressed, running errands, and taking care of his medications. There were 25 to 30 pills taken every single day. Oh, boy. Karen thrived in her new position. She felt needed and respected, opposite of what she was getting at home with her husband. In 1985, Karen married her third husband, John Clowers, a truck driver who was 26 years older than Karen and treated Karen and her two children very well at first. John was a divorced Army veteran, six feet tall and 250 pounds. Karen and the children finally felt loved and protected. But that didn't last very long. A couple months after they were wed, John changed and his true colors were brought out. He was abusive, verbally and mentally. He would scream so loud at Karen that the neighbors could hear. John's first wife had also left him because of the abuse. John and Karen were married for almost 17 years when she got the job with the Maddens. Finally, Karen was doing something she could be proud of, but it also left Karen wanting more. A few weeks after Karen started her new job, Andy started seeing bruises on Karen's arms. He asked her about them, but she refused to talk about it. After some prying, Karen finally told Andy the truth. He encouraged her to leave John, but she said she couldn't. John would kill her if she did. She had tried to leave him in the past, and John had threatened to kill her, even leaving a thirty-eight revolver out in the open as a warning. But everything changed for Karen when in May of 2002, John was found dead in their home of an apparent heart attack. 
It did not seem like many people were sad that John was gone. Their neighbors even said that they were relieved. Karen began enjoying life once more. Well, I guess that's kind of a blessing in disguise, right? Yeah, you could definitely take it like that. I mean, if he's leaving a gun out and being like, if you ever leave me, this is going to get used. uh, That's pretty bad. He also loved to do these things where he would scare her. When she would come home after work, he would hide. What? And then he would jump out and scare her. And was that a turn on? No. So then why the hell was he doing it? She hated it. I don't know. What a dumbass. I know. He did not sound like a very good guy. And I saw interviews with neighbors about John, and they were like, yeah, we weren't sad when he died. Nobody was sad when he died. Well, I'm glad he had a heart attack. Which is sad. (laughs) There should at least be a couple people that are sad that you're gone. What a giant steaming pile of crap. Yeah. That he's so insecure that he has to threaten to kill her if she leaves him. Right. God. I know. What fun is that? I don't think she had much fun. Well, no, I mean, for him, why would... Well, well, all right. (laughs) I'm trying to understand why a crazy person is crazy. (laughs) All right. Well, here we go. All right. Karen now had a job that she loved and was not afraid to go home anymore. Around this time, Andy began telling close family that he and Ruthann were having marital issues that Ruthann did not want Andy sexually anymore, that he was now less of a man because of the wheelchair, and Andy believed that Ruthann was cheating on him. Okay. Is he permanently in a wheelchair? He needed a wheelchair to get around. He could walk a little bit, and he could drive. Okay. And he was also taking um, Viagra. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that was one of those 30 pills that he was taking. In so. his case, that was a stiff drink. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, you know, you hear people in wheelchairs. Maybe it doesn't work anymore. No, That's not was still, his fault, that was still but... working. Okay. All right. Well. Ruth Ann started leaving for work and wouldn't call home to check on Andy and would come home late. Oh, boy. That automatically means she's cheating on him. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably with multiple men. Who are in their 20s. Oh, at least, yeah. And all really attractive fit fitness guys. <laughs> well, during this interview with officers, Andy also told them that in July of 2002, Ruth Ann began receiving threatening phone calls at work and at home all hours of the day and night. The caller would threaten to harm Ruth Ann, even threatening to kill her and telling Ruthann to leave her boyfriend alone. What? I'm confused. I know. So this person on the other line was telling Ruthann to leave her boyfriend alone. Oh, okay. Leave her boyfriend. Okay. Yes. So there's a female calling Ruthann. Right. Saying, leave my boyfriend alone. Exactly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Andy even received some of the harassment from the caller. The caller would tell him that Ruthann was having an affair and that they thought he should know. Well, isn't that nice of you? Okay, I'm I'm a little confused. Okay. Who is Ruthann again? That's the lady that died at the car. Okay. Not the one who's helping out. Not the... Um, the the care- caretaker is Karen. Karen, okay. Yes, I'll tie all these people all okay. together. And Karen's 
abusive husband number three had a heart attack. And died. And died. Yes. Now she's rid of abusive husbands, right? Yes. Now she's all on her own. Gotcha. I needed to tell you a little bit about Karen and her backstory to make the rest of this... Okay, that's fine. I get that. ...episode makes sense. I'm just trying to remember which women belong to which abusive situation. Oh, Okay. Well, I mean, it's going to get probably even more confusing. There's a lot of names, so just stay with me. All right. Maybe make one of those flow charts. Something. Andy and Ruth Ann believed that the caller was possibly a disgruntled co-worker of Ruth Ann's from the hospital. Ruth Ann had found out that two of her subordinates were having an affair and messing around at work. Ruth Ann moved the couple to different shifts. The woman got upset because she was moved to the night shift. She ended up quitting on July 25th, right around the time the phone calls started. Ruth Ann was so frightened that security began walking her to and from the parking lot at work. The Maddens even went to the local police about the horrific threats and were told to record the phone calls, to which they did. After Andy told them about the harassing phone calls that he believed were coming from this disgruntled employee, the investigators found her, but she had an airtight alibi and denied making any threatening phone calls to Ruth Ann. Also, her voice did not match the voice that was making the threats, so she was cleared. Okay. So they're just trying to find somebody that wanted Ruth Ann harmed in some way. Okay. Ruth Ann adamantly denied the cheating accusations to Andy. But Ruth Ann did start to notice Andy and Karen's relationship. They were quite friendly, spending hours alone together almost every day. But isn't that Karen's job? It is Karen's job. I mean, you want her to come to the house and do all these things for your husband. And then you start to get suspicious that she's with your husband. (laughs) Well, Ruth Ann became a little uneasy about the bond the two seemed to be creating, but there was nothing that she could do because Ruth Ann had to continue working. Yeah, work, work, work. And Ruth Ann trusted Karen. She actually really trusted her. They had become friends, and Karen would even hang out with the Maddens after her shift would end. So it kind of seemed like the perfect working relationship. Besides, if Karen's taken care of Andy... (laughs) Then she doesn't have to be bothered with it anymore. Okay, well. I don't know. Well, someone was having an affair. Yeah, so it was probably Andy and Karen doing the wheelchair aerobics class thing. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. After interviewing Andy at the home, one of his neighbors told an investigator that they had heard over the police scanner that someone had witnessed a white Chevy Lumina speeding out of the car park around the time the murder of Ruth Ann took place. The neighbor had an idea of who it could have been. Andy's caretaker, a Mrs. Karen Crowler, drove the same exact car, a white Chevy Lumina. Oh, gosh. Police drove by Karen's home with the original witness who had told officers that they followed the car out of the car park And sure enough, a white Chevy Lumina with tinted windows was backed into the driveway. The witness was 100% sure that it was the same exact car. And that, ladies and gentlemen, 
is why you should park your cars in your garage. (laughs) The next morning, investigators were granted a search warrant for Karen's home and the car. Karen was surprised and shook up when a police arrived at her home. She was asked about Ruth Ann and her relationship with the Maddens. Karen told them that she had spoken to Andy the night before, and he had told her about Ruth Ann's death. She also admitted to having a sexual relationship with Andy. Packs of Durrell cigarettes, the kind found at the crime scene, were found on the passenger seat of the Lumina. Nice. One of Karen's neighbors spoke with an officer and told them that she had witnessed suspicious behavior between Karen and Andy over the last few weeks. She noticed that Andy would park his truck in Karen's garage, get his wheelchair out of the back of the truck, and close the garage door. She also said that Karen's car was gone from 2 to 7 p.m. the day before, and Ruth Ann was murdered before 4 p.m., so there's the window of time. Yeah. So what I wanted to point out was that these neighbors seem to watch everything that is happening in their neighborhood. Yeah, they are those neighbors. They are definitely those neighbors. And Andy's neighbor liked to listen to police scanners. These, I don't know how bored this town is. Yeah, these people have a lot of time on their hands. I think they do because the case really broke open with these neighbors. Well, luckily they were good witnesses. They really were. I mean, to know for a fact that Karen's car was gone from two to seven. I mean, oh yeah, we write everything down. We take times. Yeah, we write it down, (laughs) write down timestamps. Yeah, the whole nine. Well, Karen was taken down to the sheriff's station for a proper interview. But on the way to the station, the investigators decided to swing by the crime scene real quick to get Karen's reaction. She got out of the car and followed the investigators over to where Ruth Ann's body had been less than 24 hours before. Karen immediately vomited and she was put back into the car and driven to the sheriff's station. Is that normal? That they would take her to a crime scene? Can they do that? I've actually never heard this before. I've never heard of that. It sounds to me like something that a defense attorney would tear into. But this was kind of something that they did throughout this case, which I thought was very interesting and smart, actually. At 7.15 a.m., the investigators hit the record button and Karen's statement was videoed. I actually watched it. I got to watch her statement. And she doesn't have a lawyer? Mm Mm-mm. No lawyer. And she's this little tiny thing and she's wearing all white and her hair's like poofy and- Big old glasses. She wasn't. I cannot. She's not very attractive. I was going to say, I have to see a picture of her because that would help me a lot. Well, she's 44. And let me tell you, I look damn good. Compared to her? Compared to this little lady. All right. Well. Well, maybe it's the, you know, camera adds 10 pounds. Sure. On me. But she was the type that lost 10 pounds. Oh, okay. Karen immediately told the detectives that she had had a conversation with her son-in-law named John Lewis. She told him that she was madly in love with Andy and that she wished she had a man like him because he treated her so good and didn't scream and holler at her. 
She wished she could have him all to herself all the time. John told Karen that he could think of a way to get Ruth Ann out of the picture. So we're introduced to another John. This John is the son-in-law to Karen. Okay, fair enough. This is a new character. Good. She asked John what he was talking about. He told Karen that she didn't need to know. On the day of the murder, John had borrowed Karen's car between 2 and 3 p.m. He returned the Lumina to Andy's house after about an hour and told Karen that, quote-unquote, it's taken care of. Karen told the investigators that she did not want Ruth Ann to be killed. Did he shoot her? asked the investigator. He did, yeah, answered Karen. Did John ask you for some money? asked the investigator. $500 and to keep my mouth shut or I would be killed. Did you pay him? she was then asked. Yes, Karen answered. I was scared. I didn't want her killed only to divorce Andy. I'm sorry. 500 bucks? That's not bad. I know. That's a, that's a smoking deal. Yeah, he can get rid of a lot of people for not much. John was picked up an hour later and brought into the station for questioning. He was told what Karen had said to investigators, blaming him for the murder of Ruth Ann. John was pissed. He had a totally different story. John told the investigators that a few weeks before, Karen had come to him at a barbecue and asked him, how would you kill a person? John was a little taken aback, but Karen proceeded to have a conversation with John about killing Ruth Ann. Karen told him, I want her dead. Then she told John that she'd pay him $5,000 to do it. Still not enough. No. I wouldn't do it for anything less than 50. <laughs> oh my gosh, Daniel. Just saying. I have standards. Five grand? Really? Mm. Oh my God. Okay. John told the investigators that he never really planned to go through with it. He was just going to lead her on and take the money to pay off some bills. Yeah, okay. That was smart. <laughs> sure. Karen wanted John to break into the Madden home and kill Ruth Ann, making it look like a burglary. For the next few weeks, John kept stalling. But it's not like she could tell on him or anything. Yeah, it's well, not like she could go to the police and be like, I gave my son-in-law $5,000 and he still hasn't killed Ruth Ann. He's procrastinating. <laughs> Karen offered John another $1,000. So he decided to meet Karen at the car park in his truck at 3 p.m. on okay. that Friday. All right. He showed Karen how to use the old revolver and pulled back the hammer for her. John kind of freaked out and put the gun in Karen's car's trunk. Okay. Are you going with me? Yeah. Okay. Why did he freak out when he's the one that showed her how to use it? Because he knew what was going to happen. Okay. So he freaked out. All right. Ruth Ann pulled up while John hid between his truck and the Lumina. So he ducked down and hid. He saw and heard Karen shoot and kill Ruth Ann. This is what he's telling the investigators. Mm -hmm. John was not going to take the rap. He was not the one who shot Ruth Ann. He also told the investigators that Andy had been in on it the entire time. See, I'm not buying the, the wheelchair cover. Oh, oh! you think he's faking it? 
Well, no, but I think he's definitely taking, he's using it. Like milking it? A little bit. So who was telling the truth? Was it Karen or was it John Lewis? I'm going to go with John because, well, first of all, I don't think he would do all that for her for so little. Because that's Mm. really risky. For $6,000? Yeah. Yeah, it's risky. Well, Andy Madden was picked up by police later that day and taken to the Lincoln County Jail to be questioned further. Investigators believed he knew more than he was saying. Andy was told that the things police were hearing just weren't making sense. They believed that his caretaker and lover, Karen, had something to do with Ruth Ann's murder. Andy vehemently denied Karen's involvement, saying she was with him all day. Asked when the last time he had spoken with Ruth Ann was, he told them at 3.38 p.m., right before she was shot. Asked how he knew the exact time, and Andy answered that he had looked at the time on his cell phone. They weren't buying this. I don't think so. I'm not buying it. Investigators told Andy that they didn't believe him and that Ruth Ann deserved more. She deserved the truth. Andy broke down crying. And in between sobs, he said, I don't know what was wrong with me. I was stupid. I really effed up. He told them that he had feelings for both Ruth Ann and Karen, but that he was confused because he loved them in different ways. He should have just taken her on as a sister wife. Oh, I don't know if they have sister wives in Missouri. Well, I mean, no one gets killed. (laughs) Be a sister wife on the side. Karen had told Andy her plan. Andy was to call Ruth Ann at a quarter past three and tell her to meet Karen at the commuter lot off of Highway 61. Telling Ruth Ann that Karen had been running an errand for him and her car had broken down off the highway and she needed a ride. Then John would shoot Ruth Ann with Karen's gun. So Andy led Ruth Ann, his wife of 27 years, straight to her death. Wow. I could have just got a divorce, Andy cried. I don't know what was wrong with me. (laughs) Yeah, why did you just divorce her? So everything I'm telling you happened the next day. Okay. Like Ruth Ann was murdered, and the very next day, they're interviewing all of these people. Okay, Okay? so this is all happening. This This is is happening really. Series of events. Yeah, this is really, really quick. Okay. So at 1145, Karen was brought back to the interview room. She was confronted with Andy's statement. Karen said she lied because she was scared. The only way to have Andy all to herself was for him to divorce Ruth Ann, so she plotted to get her out of the picture. It was her idea to stage the broken down car scene. John was supposed to be the shooter. Investigators actually physically took Karen back out to the crime scene with her vehicle and had her reenact what had happened, Hmm. which they videoed and which I watched. She told them that John was supposed to be waiting behind the raised hood with the gun. He chickened out and told his mother-in-law that he wasn't going to go through with it. So then John walked to the back of the vehicle and placed the handgun in the trunk. 
Just then, Ruth Ann drives up and parks alongside Karen's car, and John is hiding on the other side. So in between the two cars, his truck and the Chevy Lumina. Gotcha. Karen tells Ruth Ann that she needs to get something out of her truck. Ruth Ann then gets out of her vehicle and starts walking toward Karen. Karen grabs her gun out of the trunk and then points it at Ruth Ann. The gun goes off and Ruth Ann falls to the ground. Karen saw the blood and screamed, oh my God, I hit her. She tells the investigators that she did not mean for the gun to go off, that it was an accident. Karen was startled when the gun went off. This was never supposed to be a murder. She only wanted to scare her or hurt her in some way, which does not make sense at no, all. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And then she says, I'm sorry for what I did. The gun really went off accidentally. I wouldn't have did it on purpose. <laughs> So when I'm watching this video, I'm watching Karen while she's telling and reenacting the story. And she's like super tiny and she's like shaking and keeps putting her hands up to her mouth. Oh, boy. Yeah. So she's just like putting on the show. Well, investigators were not buying it. And Karen was asked if the two women had struggled for the gun. And she told them no. Because the whole thing was an accident, so there was no struggle. Right. But what about the clump of hair found in Ruth Ann's hand? So they knew she was lying. On August 12th, John Lewis was taken to the crime scene to show his rendition of what he says happened at the car park because Karen's story did not make any sense. Now, I saw this video as well, and John is there, and he's in handcuffs, and he's smoking a cigarette. And he's like shaking too. Okay. John Lewis said that he tried to talk Karen out of it, but she kept saying, it has to be done. It has to be done over and over again. Karen is the one that set up the scene by popping the hood, making it look like she was having car trouble. John showed Karen how to use the gun and then hid behind the car as Ruth Ann drove up and parked. Karen stayed at the open trunk with the gun. Ruth Ann got out of her car and approached Karen, asking her if she figured out what was wrong with her vehicle. Karen answered her, yes, it was a belt. She then steps out from behind the trunk, pointing the gun at Ruth Ann. Now, John's watching all of this from his hiding spot behind the car. This is a lot. I know. This is a lot. And it's different. That's why I wanted to tell this case. So he's watching this with his own eyes. Ruth Ann yells, oh, my God, and places her hands up in front of her face, almost like surrendering, but closer to her face. Okay. Ruth Ann then lunges toward Karen, trying to push her away or to grab the gun. She went for Karen and there was a struggle. And somehow Ruth Ann grabbed a chunk of Karen's hair in the process. Ruth Ann then turned and tried to run towards her car, and Karen shot her, striking Ruth Ann once in the head. Perfect. And one of the investigators asked John in the video, did you see this? Yes, answered John. Can we go now? He's like down in a crouched position, and he's got his hands over his face, and he's like shaking. Oh, wow. This this guy. 
Karen was told of John's reenactment to the police and that her statement of what had happened was filled with inconsistencies and discrepancies. Karen then said, okay, and told them the truth, which was John's version. So she basically just reiterated what John had just told them. Okay. The killing of Ruth Ann Madden was not an accident. It was premeditated. This was a deliberate and calculated killing. Karen ended her statement with, I'm still in love with Andy. It turned out that Karen was the one calling Ruth Ann and making the threatening phone calls. Oh. Yeah, it was her. Even talking her daughter into making some of them from different pay phones around town. Now, her daughter believed that Karen had gotten in a recent bar fight, and she was calling that woman to mess with her. She didn't realize that she was calling Ruth Ann. That's still an odd request. I know. I If my mom asked me to do that, I'd be like, uh, no. Like, Ask- hey, can you call this person, make threatening phone calls to them? Like, uh, sure. No. No. No, that's something you ask your best friend to do. <laughs> Not your daughter. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Karen was actually trying to set up a motive for Ruth Ann's murder. It was the harasser and the stalker who killed Ruth Ann. Okay. Does that make sense? No. Karen knew that Ruth Ann had just had a disgruntled employee leave. Okay. So Karen was using that as a way to harass Ruth Ann, so that when Ruth Ann was killed, it oh. could be blamed on the person that was making the harassing phone calls, which would lead back to the woman who had left employment. Okay, that makes sense. Some members of Andy's family believe that Karen messed with his medication, causing him to have mental inconsistencies. He never would have gone along with Karen's plan had he been in his right mind. Andy adored Ruthann. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that. If that's true, then Karen had everything completely planned out. So she must have also been planting the cheating accusations against Ruthann to Andy, making him believe that Ruthann was cheating and didn't want him anymore. Right. So I'm thinking she's in his ear all the time telling him Ruthann was supposed to be home an hour ago and she's not here. I bet she's off with somebody else. I saw her wearing a redder shade of lipstick. She's not wearing that for you. That's what I'm picturing. That makes sense. Yeah. 44-year-old Karen, 52-year-old Andy, and 23-year-old John Lewis were charged with the first-degree murder of Ruth Ann Madden. John pled guilty to the lesser charge of conspiracy to commit murder. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and John Lewis was released after serving his sentence. So he's out of jail now, or prison. Gotcha. In November of 2003, Andy pled guilty to the second-degree murder of his wife, Ruth Ann, and sentenced to 30 years in prison. Andy is set to be released this year. And I couldn't find anything about it, and I'm assuming he's still alive, but I don't know for sure. Well, couldn't he find was anything. Fifty-two, so two thousand twenty. Yeah, so he's old. He's in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Huh? He's probably still alive. I think he is because I feel like I would have found something if he had died. Yeah. 
In December of 2003, Karen went on trial for the first-degree murder of Ruth Ann. Two days into the trial, she pled guilty to a Class A felony murder in the second degree and was sentenced to life in prison. Karen died in prison after a bout of pneumonia in March of 2011. She was 54 years old. Oh, all right. So I do have some questions about this case, but the biggest question that I have is if witnesses saw the Chevy Lumina pull out of the car park, drawing attention to the area of Ruth Ann's body, did they not see John's truck parked right there? So where was John's truck? And where was John? That's a good question. That's all I kept thinking was. Because now he'd be right there in the thick of it. Right. And so he would have hauled butt out of there as well. Which then would have drawn attention to his car yeah. or truck. But all the witnesses stated that it was Ruth Ann in the middle of the car park with her car. But a truck was never mentioned. So that was kind of weird to me. That is weird. What I was impressed by is that these investigators were able to solve this case in less than 48 hours. That's amazing. And it was really with the help of neighbors and the community and taking Karen and John Lewis to the crime scene. Yeah, that's an interesting twist. I thought that was pretty cool. Just to visually see how they react. Right. And so that they can see exactly what happened. Hmm. All right, fun fact. You ready for a fun fact? Yep. John Lewis told investigators that he believed Karen was also guilty of murdering her third husband, John Clowers, with poison. Karen denied the accusation, and without any physical evidence, the state could not take the case any further. Nope. That's kind of why I told you about John Clowers, is because it is believed by some people that she killed him, too. That's probably a fair assessment, but like you said, you can't prove it. Right. So, Daniel, what do you think of my case? (sighs) Why don't people just get divorced? (laughs) I don't know. Or take on a sister wife. All right. Or a husband or something. I think divorce should be the first option. Sister wife should be the second option. And murder should never be an option. Correct. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I know there were a lot of names and there were a lot of interviews and stuff like that, but I just thought this case was very interesting and I've never heard it done before. I've never heard of this case before. Yeah, that's interesting. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Something new. Do you want to see a picture of them? I do. That's Karen and that's Andy. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Looks like she hasn't slept in days. Yeah, she's not a looker. (laughs) And then that's Ruth Ann. That's Ruth Ann. Isn't she adorable? And she is only 4'2". She's only 4'2". And Ruth Ann would never leave the house without her hair done, her makeup done, just looking to the nines. She took very good care of herself. And then you look at Karen and you're like, huh? Andy? What? Really? Yeah, she's a uh, she's a little goofy looking. <laughs> wow. Yep. All right. Well, my sources for this episode were just a few articles that I was able to find and a show called Twisted Love. That's where I first heard about this case. And there is also a Snapped episode. 
And the only court records I was able to find is that in July of 2011, Andy sued the Missouri Department of Corrections because they denied him access to a new motorized wheelchair. He had purchased his original motorized wheelchair with his own money, but was moved to another prison where he is not allowed to buy a new motorized wheelchair. He was told that he may repair the one that he currently uses or be pushed manually by another inmate or staff member. Oh, that's not what you want to have happen in a prison (laughs) is to be manually pushed. Just saying. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, that's a code, code phrase, right? Manually pushed? I'm getting manually pushed tonight. Uh, oh, boy. I just thought that was really interesting that all I could find in any sort of court records was this. Yeah. That's interesting because it's a crazy case. It's yeah. a crazy story. It's really crazy. And I found probably 10 articles about this. I mean, there were great articles. I got a ton of information, but... And it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't like it was in 1932. No, it was 2002. Yeah. It so 20, 21 20, years ago. Yeah, 20 years. I can yeah. do math. Well, I feel really bad for Ruth Ann's family and her siblings. And uh, it sounded like she was a wonderful woman. And it sounded like Ruth Ann and Andy had a really great marriage. And it really wasn't until Karen came along that things really took a turn. And I think it's because Karen set her sights on Andy and did everything that she could during those times that they were alone to kind of burrow into his brain. And she was so desperate for some semblance of happiness that as soon as she got somebody who gave her any attention that wasn't abusive attention, she's like, this is it. Life is perfect. That's pretty sad. sad. Again, it's sad because she went through all that, then committed murder, and then went to prison, and then died. Ugh. That's the extent of her life. Yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) we'd like to thank our Patreons. (laughs) You guys are amazing. We, oh gosh, I can't say enough great things about our Patreons. So hit it, Daniel. All right, I want to start off thanking Jamie G. Thanks, Jamie. Nicole J. Thank you, Nicole. Lizzie K. Thanks, Lizzie. I can't read. Molly K. Thank you, Molly. Tracy M. Thank you, Tracy. And Gwen R. Thank you guys so much. It was very kind. Your support of us is helping out so much. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. You guys bought us new mics, so thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Even though they didn't work and we had to send them back, but we're getting other ones. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, except I couldn't couldn't get them to turn on. I think I'm, I usually can connect things pretty well and pretty good stuff like that. Not for the life of me, get these to work. So I don't know, whatever. Or just order different ones, but thank you. If you are enjoying our show, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you are not enjoying our show, please move on to something else. Yeah. Just do us all a favor. There's a million other true crime podcasts for you to listen to. You'll find the ones you like. There's a couple. If you'd like to see photos from this case or 
different reels that we make or just stupid things that I like to post, please go follow us on Instagram at Till Death Do Us Part Podcast. And I actually have a favor. I'm getting a lot of case suggestions on a regular basis, which I love. So thank you for that. But if you have a case suggestion for me, can you please send it to Till Death Do Us Part at att.net? They get lost in my Instagram inbox, and I try to take pictures of them, but we are an independent podcast, so I do a majority of the work all on my own. Daniel just kind of gets to come along for the ride, which is great because I'm controlling, but I am trying to do this on my own, so it will be very helpful if that's where you send case suggestions. That was a nice way of saying she does all the work and I don't do anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> he doesn't have time. He barely has time to sit down and do this with me, which I love and appreciate. But I have time to do all the other stuff. Yeah. So I am going to have our daughter start addressing mail and things like that. I'm, sure. teaching, her, <laughs> I'm teaching her how to do that. So. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, I know. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. And be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Yep. Or a sister wife. Or sister wife. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.